Section 13 of A Flurry in Diamonds by Amos Chiptree. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter 16. Sloan had been busy all day and the evening previous seeking information and had made some interesting discoveries. In the first place, he had visited several of the club members best acquainted with Pierre and Walter Clark and had obtained sufficient information concerning them to justify him in believing them both to be above suspicion either morally or financially he had worked this part of his program most ingeniously and left no impression upon these gentlemen that anything was amiss he got his information in an off-hand friendly way being introduced at the club as a friend of clark from out of town disappointed at not finding him there and so forth he had passed the whole evening at the club and was well pleased with the favorable result of his visit in the forenoon he called upon mr blakely with whom he was slightly acquainted and it was at his office where he got the first clue as to the cause of pierre's sudden absence which we had yet obtained he found mr blakely enthusiastic in pierre's favor and anxious to assist him in any way possible it will be remembered that mr blakely had been absent from the office for some time previous to pierre's departure and that the latter left hurriedly soon after his return merely telling mr blakely that he was called out of town on private business and requesting him to send word up to the house to that effect Mr. Blakely, consequently, could not know the nature of the summons which Pierre had received, but it occurred to Sloan that some of the clerks in the office might remember if any message had been delivered to him which had caused his sudden departure. Mr. Blakely questioned them all, but none of them could recall any incident of the kind, and Sloan had about despaired of getting any knowledge on the point when a bright young lad called Joe, who proved to be an errand boy at the office, happening to come in, Mr. Blakely, without much hope of learning anything from him, put the same question to him. Hesitating a moment to collect himself, he replied that he did distinctly remember that Mr. Lindley had received some sort of a message which was delivered by a messenger boy, and he, Joe, had signed for it in the messenger's book and carried it to Mr. Lindley. Further than that, he said that the latter, immediately upon reading the message, looked at his watch and began to make preparations to leave the office, which he remembered he did as soon as Mr. Blakely had returned from lunch. He heard Mr. Lindley tell his partner to send him, Joe, up to his house on his way home to notify his folks of his going away. Mr. Blakely, however, did not send him, probably because, as Mr. Lindley's father came in later in the afternoon, he told him about it himself. Here was one point settled, at least. Pierre did not run away according to any preconceived plan, unless he had an accomplice or companion, who either accompanied him on his journey or who met him somewhere by appointment all of which that message if it could be found would doubtless explain it would also demonstrate the truth or falsity of another view of the case participated in by both mr blakely and sloan namely that the message was an urgent call from pierre to meet someone at a distant point on pressing business in any case the possession of that message would serve them a good turn just then and they set about to hunt for it but with slight hopes of finding it Sloan here gave me a graphic account of their search, how they closed the doors leading out of Pierre's private office and went over everything upon his desk and tables without discovering any trace of the message, how, finally, Mr. Blakely agreed with them that, in a matter of such importance to them, and probably also to Pierre, they would be justified in unlocking the drawers and searching among his private papers. With the aid of one of a number of small skeleton keys, which he had in his pocket, Sloan deftly opened the principal drawer of the desk and there, right in front, where it had been hastily thrown, lay a telegram. 
It was dated from a small town in the northern part of the state, and read as follows. May 4th, 1886. Pierre Lindley. Number blank, Broadway, New York. Take the 3.30 train today and meet me at blank hotel here tomorrow morning. All okay, I think. Clark. This, then, was the message which had summoned Pierre, and in response to which he had left upon the mysterious journey so unaccountable to us. Upon reading the message, it did not take long for Mr. Blakely to decide upon his interpretation of its meaning, and Sloane fully agreed with him. The land belonging to Clark, and over the sale of which the trouble had occurred, was probably situated somewhere in the vicinity of the town from which the message was sent, and at which he had appointed to meet Pierre. He had evidently preceded the latter in visiting the locality, with a view of clearing up the title by himself, if possible, and, failing to satisfactorily accomplish this without the assistance of a lawyer, had arranged with Pierre, before leaving, that he should join him as soon as possible after receiving a message to that effect. He had discovered a necessity for Pierre's professional services, had summoned him to meet him, and Pierre had gone at once as promised. If they had correctly interpreted the message, Sloan should be able to partly corroborate their views at Clark's office, where, naturally, some information should be obtained concerning his whereabouts for the past eight or ten days. As anticipated, upon inquiring of Clark's principal clerk, Sloan learned that Mr. Clark had been out of town since Saturday, the first of the month. He believed he was somewhere up in the Adirondack region, looking after the sale of some land. He was uncertain at the time he left just how long he might be away, but said he thought not over a week or so. The clerk added that he was looking for him to be back now every day. Going back to Mr. Blakely with his confirmatory news, and looking the case over from every point, they had about concluded between them that there was nothing more to be done at that time, as in the natural course of events, if they saw matters correctly, Pierre must soon return. Clark, in closing his message to Pierre, had indicated his confidence that they would be able to remove the flaws from the title to the property and conclude the transfer. They had evidently met with some delays, and Pierre was remaining with his friend to see the matter fully settled and the money for the land paid over. They were in a region of country where mail communication with the outside world was irregular and infrequent, and the telegraph had yet to come, which facts probably accounted for their having had from Pierre no explanation of his prolonged absence. According to the understanding of Mr. Lindley, Sr., Clark's note would be due within a few days, and they would expedite matters as much as possible in order to have the funds here to meet it. Mr. Blakely had thought it best for Sloan to report to me what they had learned and see if I had any suggestions to make with regard to further action. He had brought the telegram to show me, and, after reading it over and hearing his statement, I expressed my approval of all he had done and assured him that I fully endorsed the views of Mr. Blakely and himself, and that I believed we should soon be relieved of our anxiety by the return of Pierre, and an explanation from him which would clear up the mystery with no discredit to anyone. I requested Sloan to remain, while I informed Mr. Lindley and the ladies of his interesting news, and consulted with them upon the question of letting the case rest without additional investigation. The girls were overjoyed at the new revelations, and even Mr. Lindley had to admit that Pierre's case did not look quite so bad. But I don't see any way of accounting for the loss of your diamonds, nor of my money yet, Fred, do you? And as he spoke, he showed that he was still shaken in his confidence in Pierre, and that nothing short of a satisfactory accounting for the absence of himself and the missing property, and the return of the latter intact, would reinstate his son in his affection and esteem. I admit, sir, I replied, 
that none of us is yet able to fathom the mystery surrounding the disappearance of the jewels and the money but i have no fears but that pierre when he arrives will unravel the perplexing snarl to our complete satisfaction i will further predict sir that when what now seems so puzzling to us is made clear no one will appear in a better light as connected with the happenings of the past week than pierre himself and that you sir will be the first to acknowledge it may god grant you to be right in the first part of your prediction fred then you need have no fear but that i will see the latter part of it fulfilled to the letter noble words sir and fervently spoken said miss hartwell trembling with emotion while her great blue eyes filled up with tears as she twined her arms about his neck and kissed him then without releasing him her face close to his and looking him full in the eyes she continued still hardly controlling her feelings those words sound sweeter to me mr lindley than any i have ever heard you utter in them spoke the true father of one whom i believe to be a worthy son the father who in the very intensity of love for that son could not bear that evil should be even thought of him yet by a strange combination of events was led in some unnatural way to condemn him without giving him an opportunity to clear himself of suspicions which were always groundless to all but you and which in the light of our present knowledge we see to have been also cruel if not positively wicked i always knew sir that your heart was in the right place and believed that when the proper time arrived your fatherly instinct would assert itself in opposition to the unnatural prejudice under which you have suffered for the past few days i join you in your prayer mr lindley as i am sure also do kate and mr hopkins with a confidence as our part that it will be granted to the full then we shall take pleasure in congratulating you upon your return to yourself and in blessing you as you fulfil your promise to make amends to your son for your temporary blindness the old gentleman was visibly affected by her words but rallied himself in a moment and kissing her as she withdrew replied it has been difficult for me grace to withstand the appeals so often made to me by kate in behalf of her brother but there have appeared to me strong evidences against him which i could not put aside there seems some warrant now for your faith in pierre and i acknowledge to a growing feeling of hope within me that perhaps you and the others here have been nearer the truth in your opinion than i have we are not out of the woods yet grace and these hopes may never be fulfilled but i shall take courage from your deep feeling of trust in my son which more than anything has served to assist me in bearing up against this trouble if pierre should come out of this affair unscathed he will owe you a debt of gratitude my dear which i fear he will never be able to repay but i can assure you that it shall be from no fault of mine if he does not make the attempt i imagine however that he has inherited enough of his father's perceptive qualities to be able to know when the wind is setting favorably for him without much prompting how is that fred and mr lindley fairly chuckled with delight as he noted miss hartwell's growing blushes and turned to me with a sly wink it was well put sir i replied smiling and i have hopes in that direction as well as yourself but as i see that miss hartwell appears quite surprised not to say ruffled at our assumptions perhaps we would better allow matters in that direction to take their own course miss hartwell had by this time recovered her equanimity and was looking terribly severe at me i quite agree with you fred 
said kate in sympathy with her friend it is not right to discuss such matters in the presence of the persons in interest or rather in the presence of but one of them it is quite embarrassing as it was not plain that kate had helped matters much by her sympathetic interference in behalf of her friend and as the subject was growing somewhat embarrassing all around we dismissed it with a hearty laugh i had quite forgotten sloane who all this time was waiting in the library for my return with whatever orders we might have for him referring to this fact i inquired what course it would be best to take and was answered by miss hartwell who expressed a desire to see the officer and suggested my calling him into the parlor and discussing the matter there i never met a real live detective you know and from what i have read of them in books have always imagined them to be quite different from ordinary people that they are able to see through a millstone if necessary and quite competent to draw out all the facts in any case however hidden by some inherent cleverness of which they possess a monopoly and which ordinary mortals cannot acquire i admit that my faith in their powers has been somewhat shaken by my knowledge of your experience in this case but all the same i should like to meet this mr sloane as just now he seems to be showing more shrewdness than i thought him capable of with no offence to you mr hopkins as there was some justification for her harsh criticism of sloane's ability we could only smile at her allusions and there being no impropriety in calling him in i went and summoned him we soon returned and sloane met with a very polite reception by both the ladies he appeared a little confused at first by his surroundings in the elegant drawing-room and somewhat diffident over the attentions he received but he soon recovered himself and joined in the conversation in his naturally easy way we were discussing the advisability of following up the clues obtained as to pierre's journey and of dispatching the officer upon the trail when suddenly we heard the street door close and the footsteps of some person in the hall mr lindley started with the evident purpose of discovering who the intruder might be but had scarcely left his chair before the footsteps ceased and there standing at one side of the drawn portiere curiously peering into the room stood pierre End of section 13